0: truly the only one worthy to take that throne. So yes, Lord, I pray that <coughs> also we can just be aware of your presence and that that us being aware will be able um, to allow us to count everything that we've gained as nothing, as rubbish, as Paul calls it, um, just compared to this sheer significance of knowing who you are um, and being in your presence. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Happy November. This is one of my favorite times of year, and this is also one of my favorite months of the year for three primary reasons. One, it's my birthday. Two, Salt and Straw has some of the best flavors this month, in my opinion. If you like Thanksgiving menus, because it's all Thanksgiving themed, I went right away on Friday uh, as a confession because they had the new flavors out and I've been anticipating them. And then, third, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And so, uh, love this time of year, love November. Um, Aside from time change, which we just did this weekend. So, as I can see outside, the rest of you can't because our Curtains are closed as it is already dark. So unfortunately, we've entered that really dark time of year, but we will get through this together and this too shall pass. Uh, One of the good things about that, potentially, is that people don't don't necessarily care if they're not outside, because we came through all those nice months, and I know we have people who like to garden in here, and so you like to be outside and enjoying that stuff. Now it's dark, so you need to be somewhere inside that's warm, that there's fresh-brewed coffee and tea, and so you know you can always find that here on a Sunday night. I love the fact that we do have central AC and heat in this building. For everything that doesn't have, it does have AC and heat. Um, and as a reminder, tonight, I know our numbers are a little bit sparse, a little bit uh, lower than what we've been in the last couple of weeks, but we've had visitors almost every week this month. And just as a general rule of thumb, let's continue to be the authentic family when we have visitors come into the room uh, who don't necessarily know us, and we don't necessarily know anything about them. Uh, we've had a number of Concordia students, and we're going to continue to provide that place for people to belong on their way to either belief or to becoming part of our family, not knowing their background. Uh, for the last couple of months, we've been in a series for the city, And we've been studying the book of Nehemiah and asking ourselves the question, what does it look like for the people of God to exist for the city where they live? Um, In this case, for us, that is the city of Portland. And last week, we crossed over that halfway point. And so if you maybe missed some weeks, I'm not going to do a full recap, but the first seven chapters of Nehemiah have focused on restoring the walls uh, which is really kind of what set up the whole, the whole premise that there's this city that needs to be rebuilt, specifically these walls that need to be rebuilt. And so those first seven chapters really focus on that. And we see a story of prayer. We see a story of unity of the people. And then we see them overcome multiple forms of opposition in the midst of this rebuilding project. And then tonight we're going to embark on the second half of the book. We're going to start in chapter 8, and we're going to see this uh, kind of shift the focus on now that the wall has been rebuilt and that the city's been rebuilt, that they're, they're going to start um, focusing on restoring worship. And we're going to see a proclamation of the word. We're going to see a confession of sin. We'll see the walls dedicated. We'll see um, final reforms take place. Uh, last week we left off where Nehemiah has worked tirelessly for months. The wall is completed and everyone says it's time to rest it's time to take a vacation finally I can quit working so hard but Nehemiah comes in he says no we must continue because this calling that I've been given is greater than just this one task is greater than this this wall but I've, we have something greater that we're going after here and so Nehemiah says there's no time to rest we must continue on with this task that God has given us and so we're reminded that, yes, Nehemiah's calling was to rebuild a wall, and it was to rebuild a city, but that was only one part of his calling. And so that was kind of the initial step. This is, this is kind of point A. We're going to get to this point, but then we've got other things that we're going to continue to do. And so the goal wasn't just the rebuilding of the wall, but the rebuilding of the city and the rebuilding of a people. Now, our goal as sojourn, hopefully this is obvious to you, but just in case it's not, it's, it's a good reminder for us as a church family, isn't the building facility that we are in as a building isn't the goal, but the people of the city of Portland are the goal. That's why it it's makes me so happy when I see visitors coming in and interacting with us, because people that come in and visit us and check us out, like they represent the goal of what we're after here, not necessarily the space that we're gathering in. And people all over the country, some of them you have met are praying for our church. They're praying for Sojourn. They're praying for the city of Portland. And they're specifically excited about what we're doing here in Northeast Portland. So it's not uncommon. In fact, on a weekly basis, I get at least one text, an email, a phone call, and they'll, they'll ask, How's Sojourn going? How, how are the people? And some of them they'll ask you by name because they've met you. They'll say, How are things going? And on occasion, not very often, but on occasion, someone will say, What's the church like? And what they'll actually mean is, what is the facility that we meet in? What is that like? They want to know what the stamp building is like, similar to most of you before you came in here. And a lot of neighborhood people want to know what the stamp building is like. I don't mind answering that question, but I normally try to focus on the people. I'll kind of say the makeup of the people, who God is bringing here, and and our personalities and the areas of gifting and what it is that we're doing, and try to not answer about the building itself, because the people are the point. So similar to Nehemiah's calling, we are all about people at Sojourn. And I want to keep that on our forefront, that we're all about the people of our city, which is why we do the partnerships we do, it's why we do the things that we do, because we love the people in the city where God has called us to dwell. And we want to seek the good in all people. If you've been on our website, and you've probably heard me say it before, that regardless of your background, regardless of how you identify yourself, regardless of your your wins or your losses, and, and how you anything from your past, we want to welcome you to commentate this journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus, because we want to seek the good in people, because we were all created in the image of God. And I won't deny it, we do have not, not necessarily an alternative agenda, but we do want to see you connected to Jesus, and we want to see the people of our city connected to Jesus. Not in a bait-and-switch kind of way, but just in a genuine, like, we love you, and we believe this is the best plan for your life, and that as all of us can testify that when we interacted with Jesus, our lives were changed. And so we want to see that happen with the people in the city of Portland. And so my question is, if that's the point, if our point is the people, if our point is the connecting to Jesus, how is it that we make that happen? I believe that the primary way we're going to do that is by teaching all people about the book that is entirely about him, Jesus. And the only way to build up the people of God is by teaching you the Bible, the word of God. And the people of Jerusalem, they needed it more than a physically secure city. That was part of it. And they did need to rebuild these walls and they needed to be secure, but they also needed more than a financially stable city And they needed more than a well-governed city. So although those things are good, they needed to be secure, they needed to have some financial stability, they needed to have the right government in place, but they also needed to have a word-saturated city. That brings us to our message tonight, Nehemiah chapter 8, which in many ways is very influential for what we as a church do on a weekly basis. And we're going to see what Nehemiah does as he grabs Ezra. If you guys remember, Ezra and Nehemiah from I think one of our first weeks, they're really um, one book in their in the original uh, written languages, but we've kind of separated them out in our English languages, and we've primarily been focusing on Nehemiah, but he grabs Ezra, a priest, and he gives him a pulpit, and he preaches to the people as they gather together at the central area of the city. So as you remember last week, the people were repopulating the city now that the city wall has been rebuilt, and they're moving back in, and so that's where we're going to jump in tonight in chapter 8, so go ahead and open your Bibles. Nehemiah 8, and we'll start in verse 1. If you don't have your copy of Scripture, as always, we have blue Bibles in the back, and it will be next to me on the screen here as well. Jump in, verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Pause there for a minute. So there's a point here in the passage to stress the unity of all the people that are repopulating the city from last week. And so as the people are moving back in, and now there's this big, large gathering of all the people, and they're going to gather, it says, at the water gate, and they're gathering to hear the word of the Lord, more specifically the book, of law of Moses, which is known as the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then we see the priest Ezra. He's received authority, and Ezra is going to bring the law before the assembly of the people. Now, the assembly is the people that are gathered for worship. So they're coming together, uh, similar to how we do every Sunday night. We are an assembly tonight, regardless how big or small that we are assembled together. We're gathered together, and we come together to worship Jesus. And pay special um, attention that there is inclusion of both men and women, which to us that may seem like, what's the big deal? Like we, we, we worship weekly and we have men and women in our presence. But if you look at the uh, strict keeping of the Great Jerusalem fe- Feast, it was expected only men would be present. But they make a special point to note that men and women would be included in this gathering for worship. So let's imagine our scene. There's an estimated 30 to 50,000 people, so they're all gathered together, they're assembling together, and they're coming to uh, be taught the Bible. If you've ever been to a Portland Timbers game in our city, you've seen about 24,000 people who get really excited, uh, and then there's the, the Timbers Army. I'm not sure how many of those 24,000 are in that section, but they yell and chant the entire game. Some of you love that, and some of you don't like that necessarily, but imagine those 24,000 people, but instead of chanting for the timbers and, and to, to beat the team that they're playing, they are chanting to Ezra and saying, Ezra, we want you to teach us the Bible. And so that's the scene. We've got these 24,000 people, could be 30, could be 40,000 people, I don't know the exact amount, but a lot of people, and they are asking for Ezra to teach them the Bible. And this is all who could understand. And so we're going to see that understanding is a key theme in this chapter since it was vital that all should be able to know and learn God's ways as was revealed to Israel. And this is the first day of the seventh month, which was a day of of solemn rest, kind of like a Sabbath. And this was in the month in which the day of atonement was kept and the feast of booths was to be celebrated. So that's kind of the setting and kind of our scene as we jump into verse three. It says, and he heard from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And so we see that it says that Ezra, he read the word of God and he read it from early morning until midday. Now, in case you're not familiar, that would be about six hours of Bible teaching. And some of you give me a hard time if I go 45 minutes on a Sunday night. So don't worry, I'm going to try to keep it in that time frame. We're not going to be here for six hours. only David Platt can do that in Secret Church, if uh, some of you have participated in that. But Ezra teaches for six hours, And it was a lengthy book, and there may have been frequent pauses naturally for, for explanation to take place. But the fact that it was six hours was quite impressive. I don't know how many of us would sign up to go and hear almost anyone teach. I'm sure you can think of your favorite Bible scholar, absolutely your favorite preacher, but still, even most of them, like six hours? Like, that's a really long time to sit under Bible teaching. And verse four, says, And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattithiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Petiah, Mishael, Milchajah, Hashum, Hashabadiah, Zechariah, and Meshullam, on his left hand. I'm sure I messed up some of those names. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it all, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So we see this scene We've got 30 to 40,000 people, they're gathering together to worship, to sit under the Bible, being taught to them for six hours, and the people were expectant, and the people were ready, and they show their expectancy by building something. It says they literally built a tower, which serves as a pulpit and a platform for Ezra, and it dominates the scene. So I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I imagine Ezra being kind of elevated up. Uh, to where, you know, if you've got that many people, you need to be up high so people can see you. Here we're all one level, but we're small enough, that's okay. And so he's elevated up high, and he's got this, this kind of pulpit so he can deliver the teaching of the Word of God. And as a church, we believe in the proclamation of the Bible, which is why we believe in regular preaching of the Word as we do on Sunday nights. There are some churches in our culture, in our kind of American version of Christianity, which can be an oxymoron in many ways, where they've gotten away from the preaching of the Word, from the proclamation of the Bible because they just don't, they don't believe it works. But Ezra is undoubtedly effective at preaching and believes in it. He was a serious student of scripture. He studied the word of God, and he daily walked with God, and he had something to deliver to these people. Now, we don't have a stage here, and technically, uh, the, what we use as a pulpit is a music stand, although when I bought it, I did kind of like the fake wood look for it. But historically, churches, if you've been in the historic church buildings in our city, they have stages and pulpits. Now, some of us have interpreted that modern day that, man, they're elevating that individual above everyone else. And, for, and, there, and there was a time and place where that kind of took place, that it's elevating kind of the one delivering the message. But the reason they're actually designed that way is not to elevate the one delivering the word, but to elevate the word of God itself and to show that the people are under the authority of the word of God. So it's not necessarily about the one who's delivering up there, but it's about the, the word of God itself that is over the people. And it says, Ezra opened the book and above all the people. And so we see this picture, this picture of authority of the word and the humility of the people. And so at Sojourn, we believe that we are under the authority of the word of God. We're not over the word of God. Everything we do here is shaped by the word of God, and we operate to the best of our abilities in line with what scripture teaches. This is where we get our convictions as a church and our statement of faith. And so any decision that we take, we we try our best to do it in line with what we believe scripture teaches. Now, there's times that maybe we've gotten that wrong, and there's times that we may have to reevaluate, but we take it very seriously and do it to the best of our ability. We do not stand over the Word of God. In other words, we don't take out the parts of the Word of God that we're not comfortable with and only follow the parts that we are comfortable with. Many in our culture do that. We could say, man, we don't really like this section of this book, and so we're just going to rip that out and we're going to do something else. Or even as I I really like going... um, through entire books and going through verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And part of that is it forces us as a church and it forces me as, as the one preaching oftentimes to go through the hard passages. So instead of skipping over these, I have to go right through them. And there's times that I've definitely wanted to skip over things because it can easily get you in trouble within our culture when you go through some of this stuff. You go, man, this is what the Bible taught. And so we need to now do a, a careful exposition of what it is that it was actually saying to us. And so at Sojourn, we sit underneath the Scriptures, and we let the Scriptures teach us what we need to know about life and godliness. We let the Scriptures shape and dictate what it is that we are to teach. So that's why we don't come up with just a bunch of self-help ideas, and that's why we don't just figure out what's kind of popular right now in culture. And I think there's a good time and place for all of those things. There's some different forum ideas I would love to do. But whenever it comes to the preaching of the Word of God, we want to stay in the Word of God. The number one way that we are to hear from God is by seeking him in prayer and reading his word. And so sometimes I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, I, just, I haven't heard from God. I really want to hear from God. And, and so i will ask, well, how is it you're seeking the Lord? What is it you're doing to try to hear from him? And a lot of times they don't have an answer for that. But my response is if you want to hear from God and do you want to hear from God, then open your Bible. God has already spoken in his word and it's right here. I remember hearing a story of a pastor who got up to preach. He was a guest speaker somewhere, and he got up and said, well, I don't have anything to share with you. God didn't speak anything to me this week. And, and then the pastor that was sharing this story going, oh, just open the Bible, if nothing else. So if I ever have a really crazy busy week, and I know you guys would use grace with me, I'll just come up, and we'll just, we'll just open it and read through it together, because God has already spoken. The reason we do our Sunday gatherings the way that we do them is because of the Word of God. We sing songs informed by the Bible." We teach from the Bible. We respond in remembrance through the bread and the wine in the way that the Bible teaches us to do. And then we finish by singing more songs that are informed by the Bible. Thursday night in our gospel community, we share a meal as we share life by doing what we see the early church doing in the book of Acts. They're fellowshipping, they're studying, they're serving together. So it's informed by the Bible. This is why our tables are currently reading through the New Testament together using the Messiah Bible. We have about 50% of those that would call sojourn their church in those groups. And so for some of you, this might be the very first time you've ever read the New Testament. For some of you, this might be the first time in a long time that you've read the New Testament. But it's getting people in the Word of God, and it's a tremendous gift, and we should be encouraged to know that God, through His Word, as He speaks to us through it. And so if you want to hear from the Word of God, or you want to hear from God, you want God to speak to you, you want to know what God's plan is for your life, open the Bible and read it, and I promise you, God will speak to you. Psalm 138 2 tells us, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And then St. Augustine reminds us, where scripture speaks, God speaks. And so God has chosen, through his grace, to speak to us in the scriptures, which is why we operate the way we do as a church. Let's think about the alternatives for a minute. As I'm preparing this message, I started thinking, what what would we do differently? If if what we did wasn't informed by the word of God, what would we do? We could all read some self-help books you know, PALS has plenty of them, just go to PALS, you'll find that whole section. I could get up here and tell you some kind of inspirational story for about 15 minutes. We would maybe put a video clip of Dr. Phil up here, and I would do my best to entertain you. But in the end, all that would do would encourage you to follow me. And in the end, it probably won't take very long, I will fail you. And then what will that do? That will encourage you then to follow yourself. And ultimately, it also won't take very long, you will fail yourself. So any other method other than Jesus is a dead end. Jesus and His Word is the only way to hear from God, and so we see Ezra here, and this is the first appearance we see of Ezra in the book of Nehemiah. Ezra begins with prayer that preceded reading of the law. James Boyce, in his commentary on Nehemiah, points out that Ezra's prayer accomplished two things. The first thing is it accomplished is it established a sense among the people that what was to follow the reading of the law was no mere civil matter. That had to do with God. And then the second thing is prayer. It is Ezra's prayer awakened people's anticipation of what God might do among them. And so the people were getting excited about what it was that they were going to hear and what it was that was being read to them. So Ezra comes in, he teaches the Bible, and I love the people's response that we see here. It says, they bowed their heads, they lifted their hands, and they're yelling, Amen, which is a way to affirm in agreement with what is being taught. Now, I know we're not, we're not at a church that yells at a lot. Occasionally, I'll stop and ask for it, and I'm really hoping at least one person will, will agree with what was just said. But this is where many of us, and I'm putting myself in this category, this is where many of us can get uncomfortable and disguise it under the banner of not being very expressive when it comes to worship. Let me describe what I mean. We might close our eyes briefly during worship songs, but then we quickly open them. We don't want people to think we're, we're sleeping, or, or they won't know what, why we have our eyes closed. Or if you're like me, you typically will raise one hand. You maybe have seen it. I'll be in the back, and maybe I'll raise one hand in worship, but never two, because I don't want you guys to think I'm, like, too charismatic. You know, I'm kind of, like, charismatic with a seatbelt on is how I like to describe myself. And so I don't want you guys to think I'm, like, getting too crazy there if I raise two hands. And a lot of us will hide this under the umbrella of, I'm just not very that expressive. And I get that. I really do, and I respect that and honor that. But as I stand back here on Sunday nights, I sometimes wonder, why aren't we in awe and wonder of the God that we worship, of the God of the universe? My guess is if I went with you to your favorite band, and this, let's say this band's been out for a long time, and they've sent out the playlist prior to you going to the concert, and you're like, oh man, it's everything off their new album, which is cool, because it's still your favorite band, and you really want to see them, and you're going to be there early and get in the front, but all of a sudden, they, they finish the concert, and everyone's yelling one more song, one more song, and they come back out, and they play your favorite song, and you just go crazy. You're jumping up and down and you're so excited, you're like, oh my goodness, they played my favorite song. Or maybe I go with you to see your favorite sports team and they are in the championship game. It's been a tough season, but they made the playoffs, and you get to the championship game, and they win it at the buzzer. Are you just are you gonna stand there like, man, that was that was that was a good game. I'm glad I spent $150 on these tickets. Woo, go, go Panthers. I doubt it. I doubt it. Now my point isn't stand up here and to to berate you over the head and make you feel guilty for how you respond or don't respond in worship. Please don't hear that. I'm not going to stand here and give you three ways to be more responsive during your worship time. But this passage, what I believe it is doing, and it was doing it to me, so maybe I'm the only one in here, but it's challenging us as we see how the people anticipate the teaching of the Word of God and their response to it. So I was personally challenged when I studied this this week. To see, man, they bowed their heads, and they raised their hands, and they yelled amen. How often am I expectant and ready and responsive in worship that way? Full disclosure, a lot of times I'm more worried about the details. I think I told you guys that last week of is everything in order, and how's the coffee going to taste, and you know who, who's coming and who's not coming. A lot of times I'm more focused on those things than I am in the anticipation of what we're going to, and being an all and wonder of the God that we worship we see the people were so consumed by the word of God, the most authentic response possible comes as they then examine their hearts. So first we see this joy-filled worship, and then they examine their hearts. And so my challenge for us is what if we, as the people of sojourn, what if we came to the gathering less as a consumer and less as a critic and more in eager anticipation, not hoping that God speaks, but knowing that God has already spoken? Yes, God can impress something new upon our lives, but God has already spoken. So if we came expecting to hear from God and from the word that we already have accessible to us. You guys heard about the Christmas missions offering. And the missionaries that we support, they're going to people who don't have access to the word of God at all. When we lived over in India, we worked with people who had, in some cases, they had maybe one book of the Bible. And I knew people who owned maybe a page, and they just so coveted that one page Of the bible always felt bad for the guy who got like a page out of leviticus or something like that you know so just think we have access to it day in and day out and if you don't own a bible i own probably 10 of them and you can have one of mine i've got multiple translations and so i just think how would that change our approach instead of just showing up and going through the motions but showing up and saying i am coming for god to change me because i know that god has spoken already in his word and i know that he can change me look at verse seven this says, also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebia, Jamin, Akub, Shabitha, Hodiai, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabod, Hanan, Peleiah, the Levites. It gets really easy after you do all those other names. Help the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And so the word is being taught by Ezra, and then we see the Levites are moving among the crowd and ensuring that all that were there could understand what was being read. And so we got this group of 13 people. They're not on the platform with Ezra, but they they uh, special task and skills in the interpretation of what it is that's being taught. And so they're going throughout, making sure. I mean, you got to think—if you've got 30 40,000 people, they're probably only hearing bits and pieces, and they're probably having some little. It's almost like they're having small groups within the midst of this mega church service, all at the same time. And so they're, they're making sure the explanation is happening and that application of the Word of God is actually given. And this points again to what we try to do here on Sunday night. So we try to give further explanation of the Word of God or what it, is it says, even when it's difficult topics. And then within our smaller groups, that's the one thing. I know we're reading through the the immersed Messiah, but that's something that's great. If you say, man, we want we to jump into further maybe what was looked at on Sunday night because we're not sure we understood that point. Or, or man, Matt just kind of glossed over it because sometimes we're preaching so many verses, he could just kind of flew right over it. Let's go into that and dive into that. It's a great spot to do that. And verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And so we see Nehemiah and Ezra together decide that this holy day should be one of joy. And though the reading has led many of them to the, the sense the need for the, uh, of their sins and need to repent, it says the people were made aware of their sins. And so it made them grievous to know that, man, I have, sin- I have- that is- he's describing me here. And they were struck with the realization that the Babylonian captivity was due to their sin. The brokenness of the wall that had to be rebuilt was due to their sin. And so the people were weeping over their failures over the years. So think about to the moment that you came to know Jesus and you thought back through all of the, the sin that you had done, all the sins that you committed. And many of us, we did physically weep. We were sorrowful for all of those things and all the failures that we have done. And so the word should bring conviction. And my, my prayer is weekly at Sojourn that the word of God as it is preached and as it is taught that the, God's presence is among us and that conviction would happen. Not, some, not from me. I know sometimes I have to be careful because I, I know that sometimes my background can come across as like a very heavy-handed approach, which is never what I mean. I don't want you guys ever to hear me saying, pull up your bootstraps and let's try harder because that's not the gospel message. But I want to faithfully proclaim the gospel message. and Sometimes conviction will take place. I've had conversations with people and sometimes I go, man, that, is, that wasn't my intent at all. And, and they'll say, were you, were you pointing out to me? And I'll say, no, I actually I really wasn't, but that's between you and God. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and that that conviction would happen to all of us as we look at the Word of God, as we sit under the authority of the Word of God week in and week out. Think about the gospel. The gospel is good news, but it's only because there's really bad news. Otherwise, the gospel wouldn't be very good news to us. And the reading by Ezra reveals sin, but it also reveals a Savior. And so my my challenge or encouragement to you is don't resist the conviction of the Spirit of God, but welcome that as the beginning of a renewal in your life. I think sometimes we get nervous that we will get convicted about the things that are being taught and that as the things that are coming out of the Word of God. But I would say that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to realize those things and that we say this is the beginning of a renewal process that God is blessing me with this and that I'm realizing that. We see there was sorrow because of sin, but then they are instructed, don't be sorrowful, but be joyful because the realization that God has not just cast you off. And so they realize they're, they're sinners, so they're sorrowful of that. But then they come back and say, no, but you have something to be very joyful about, that God was merciful, and God is merciful towards you. And we see that true repentance then will lead us to joy. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so as the people rejoiced in God and they delighted in his presence, he would show himself strong to help them and defend them. And so we see here that joy was a key note because God has saved Israel in both the remote and recent past. And that this story of salvation would have been told again in the reading of the book of the law. And so as the people are being convicted of of what they have done, they're going, no, there's good news here. And the good news is that you can rejoice because God is merciful to you. The law will make us aware of our problem, sin, and we weep, and the gospel brings us a solution, Jesus, and we rejoice. And it should cause us to rejoice. And that's why the law is still a good reminder for us that, man, we still sin and that we still mess up. I do it every single week. Some of you have been on the other end of that. I'm, not, I'm hoping Andrea doesn't say amen to that, but some of you have been on the other end of that, and that I've had to, to apologize to you, but then also go to the God and say, I'm sorry, but then I can rejoice because we can be reconciled to one another from the very beginning of sojourn before anyone in this room other than my family was part of it. I've always said I want to live out the one another's of Scripture, and because there is joy in that, and that we can forgive one another, and that we can move on as we rejoice in what the Lord has offered to us. Derek Thomas, in his commentary, says that joy stems from four things here. Joy stems from knowing that we are loved. The joy stems from knowing that what we have in fellowship with the Lord is best. And that joy comes from knowing the God of providence. And then joy comes from knowing the best is yet to be. And so there's a lot of joy. I know sometimes we we think of joy and happiness and people put put them together, but I know life is not always happy. We, we, We all deal with some things whether it's forms of anxiety or depression or just loneliness, we all have those things. We're entering that season, unfortunately, in our city where those things tend to come out a little bit more with, with all this extra darkness. But I do think as those that are in Christ that we should have a joy that is unexplainable. It doesn't mean you're always happy, but there's still joy in knowing Jesus and you can rejoice in him. The last few verses there, verses 13 through 18, it says, and on the second day, the heads of fathers, houses of all the people, with the priest and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, And in their courts, and in their courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. And so we see that the heads of the family, they come together and they say, I know it's hard to teach 40,000 plus people, so give us a crash course and we'll go teach it. And so the other people are being empowered and equipped to go out and say, help us to teach it because the people here are under the word of God and they need some explanation. And so their, their first Bible study in verse 13, what did they discover? That they were to live in booths. And this commemorated that where God had brought them out of Egypt and he protected them in the wilderness. But they also realized we have not been practicing this. We haven't been practicing this for centuries and so the leaders had just a few days available to get the word out to the Jews in the surrounding villages that everybody was going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And what I love here is that I know, notice how they do it. They all did it. Everyone did it. They followed through and they realized, man, this is something that we haven't been doing and this is something that we're supposed to be doing, then we should probably do it. It just seems very logical that we need to obey this. And it likely looks silly to outsiders, but they don't care. They say, this is what the Word of God's instructed us to do, so this is what we are going to follow through with and do. And so what we see is the people obey the Word of God, and as a result, they experience joy. I love that. They obey the Word of God, and as a result, they experience joy. I know sometimes we, certain parts of Scripture are really difficult for us to study, and they're diff- difficult for us to even follow through on obe- obedience to those things. But we see here they obey it, and as a result of their obedience, they're experiencing joy. And so the application for us is take time to study God's Word and to hear from Him. Maybe you say, I don't know where to start. I would say, just jump in and start somewhere. We have Bible reading plans available for you. There's a plethora of them. We have tables that you can jump into if you're not part of one already. This will bring you joy as you can hear from God, as God will speak through his already spoken word. And so as we continue to worship this evening, we're going to put into practice what we just heard. First, we'll do it by worshiping. We'll worship through songs of praise to Jesus. The second way is by giving. We give of our time and talent as a service to the body of Christ, the, the body that, that God has brought us to. We can give of a prayer. Maybe it's a confession, maybe it's a repentance, maybe it's a prayer for our city within line with our theme of Nehemiah. We give of our treasure. Some of us do that online. Others of us do it in the box that's here because we want to be generous with our finances and give of our first fruits. You'll probably never hear me necessarily talk about a percentage here when it comes to giving, but I want us to be known for people who are generous and that we can grow in our generosity and that we can grow in our partnerships because of our generosity and that we can grow in supporting missionaries in other countries like our Christmas missions offering because of our generosity. And then our final way of response and worship is through communion. And that for those of us that are in Christ, we remember what the Lord has done for us, we believe it again and we commit again to what Jesus did. I love the symbol of it being like a reset each week. Because as much as I would like to think that we would, some of us could walk in here and have lived a perfect life from the previous week, I know that not a single one of you have done that. I haven't done that. And so I love that we have the table weekly as a reset and a reminder for what it is that God has done for us and, as, and, and for our city, and then as we go out, into our, our new week. I want this to be a time for examination and for reflection as we remember the death of Christ and then we also anticipate his return and that the bread and the cup that it can symbolize his broken body and his blood that was spilled out for the salvation of us, for our city and for the world which is why we remember and why we do communion as often as we gather together. Because as often as you gather to remember what Christ has done. We want to remember that every single week when we are together in our assembly as a family. So let me pray for us. Jacob will come back up and lead us and worship through song. We'll respond through taking of the elements and continue worshiping. God, we want to thank you that you have spoken. God, as we see it tonight, as the people are moving back into the city, thousands of people, and as they gather together, That they ask.